You are listening to the Hostage to the Devil podcast. Some listeners may find this content disturbing. I was going to classes uh, with Ed and Lorraine Warren, and Lorraine said, next week, uh, Malika Martin's coming to speak with us. I had no idea who he was, and she said he was an exorcist, and I thought, that's the coolest thing ever. I can't wait. I specifically chose to sit in the back of the, the room because I didn't want to hog the spotlight in the front. And um, he spoke for an hour and a half or so. At the end, a few of us got in line to get our books autographed or say hi. He immediately, he kept staring at me down the line. And uh, I was like, oh boy. And uh, when, I, when he finally got to me, he kept pointing at me, he goes, were you sitting in that back uh, corner there? And I said, yes. And he goes, well, you were distracting me the whole time. He was, I said, what? He says, you have a glow about you. He goes, you're throwing off lights like I've never seen before. He said, uh, you're my favorite person in this room right now. He goes, it's an honor to meet you. It's an honor to meet me. He made me feel so special that day that I still remember what he said, and I think about it all the time. Um, I think everyone has their own personal beliefs about God and devil and spirituality. But in terms of trying to convince anyone, I don't think we'd ever be successful in convincing anyone because there's still no real hardcore evidence. We can't point to there's the devil right there. We have no picture of him. And I think people are, are going to be skeptical until they see that picture. And that's okay. Skepticism is a healthy thing. I would encourage that. Don't accept anything at face value. Question, question, question. Jimmy! Oh my God, it's Lorene! Hi, Marty. Hi, <laughs> you're right. How are you? I have the lockdown haircut. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> it was basically, it was three phases. Um, phase one, take me, my son and I to the barbers. Oh, nice. Um, we were too late. The barbers, there was a big queue down the road. So I thought, you know what? Um, yeah. Went to phase two, which was cut my own hair. Um, how, hard, <laughs> how, how hard can it be? Oh, you'll and then find phase out. phase three was I look like a Wally. I need to shave it off. <laughs> Marty, I I got to phase two, yeah. and I I was just chopping it myself on Ambien. Remember, Laureen, you know the story. And it was it was all it looked good to me. And then when I got to finally get my hair done, she was, "What did you do?" Those yeah. holes and clumps. So she had to she had to give me like almost a buzz to get rid of it all. Are you uh, are you coming on video, Laureen? Aren't I on video? No, you're not. No, you mean go down bottom left. There might be a, an opportunity to. Oh, for good. Start your video. Oh, video. oh, oh here the, we go. Start video. Okay, yeah. there I am. Hey, he said that. He said there might you be an opportunity to. Tell me these things, Marty. I don't know. All right, you look great, Jimmy. Jesus. What's he doing? <laughs> I can't see him. Hang on, I want to change my view. Go to gallery. I, gallery I view off something. screen. I can't do it. Shoot. I see oh, your face on my whole screen, Lorreen. There, I see everybody now. Where's Chris? No, Chris. No, it's, it's too late for him. He's usually we get rid of him. Nine thirty. <laughs> gets talk. He gets talking at nine thirty. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been about a year and a bit. Is it a year and a half? Two years since last time I saw you guys in the flesh. It's um, almost yeah, two probably. years, Marty. Wow, wow, yeah. wow! So thanks for um, tuning in on this. Um, these strange days that we find ourselves in. Well, first and foremost, um, yeah, thanks for giving me your time. And also thanks for 
given me a time for the documentary. It took me six years to make, but you know, I couldn't have made it without you know you two and a few other people. So I'm very thankful for your time that you gave um, on that very cold March of 2016. I think it was. I remember that. Can we talk individually? We'll start with you, Lorene. Talk to us about when the film was released. It was January 15th, 2017 on Netflix. Can you talk to me about the aftermath of, of, of the release? What, oh, as a, as oh from I an remember individual that. Point of view? I remember it well, Marty, because, you know, clearly you should have warned me for it because I'm not used to something like that. You know, oftentimes when I'm approached for these interviews, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to help. And, you know, I, I figure it's for educational purposes. Hopefully, you know, if I can share my experiences and, and the knowledge that I've built up over time on the paranormal, you know, hopefully people can build on that knowledge and learn from it and I can help someone and that's great. And then I just kind of forget about it. I don't pay much attention to it. But in this instance, after Hostage came out, you know, I was really inundated with emails um, and letters and even phone calls. And, and I do really appreciate people respecting my privacy and, and trying to contact me in traditional, respectful manners. Um, but I was included in uh, some my research has been included in people's doctoral theses um, and just, you know, I've been included in books and I've been cited in, in several papers and just trying to, you know, perpetuate the knowledge forward. Uh, so, and a lot of clients have come forward, you know, asking me to counsel them and uh, include them in my private practice. So it's, you know, it, it was a lot more than I ever expected or even thought about, but, um, yeah, I'm grateful for the experience, definitely. So, yeah, I, th I think we were all on, on on the journey in a sense that as a filmmaker, you don't really know how the film is going to get received from the likes of Netflix or other commissioners. So, for us as well, getting that worldwide distribution was just uh, for me, anyways, as a as a was my debut feature documentary. Yeah, so nine pretty, million pretty... view. Nine million viewers. I just wasn't prepared for that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's like six, yeah. six, sixty-two territories, yeah, around the world. So yeah. it was, um, yeah. I mean, we 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 weren't expecting that as well. I mean, it was a great outcome, but uh, just just to remind an audience who haven't watched the the documentary yet, what can you give me a little bit of a background on yourself and what you do and what you did and still do now? Oh, I'm a clinical psychotherapist, uh, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I've been practicing for probably upwards of close to 30 years now, trying not to date myself too much. Um, and I've had paranormal experiences all my life since very early childhood. And I've had uh, both positive, very positive experiences with the supernatural and uh, spiritual experiences with angels and guides coming to me and uh, psychic impressions. But I've also been the victim of uh, demonic attacks repeatedly throughout the years of, uh, from my early teen years going into my 20s. So I think originally I wanted to find out more about, you know, why is this happening to me? What can I do about it? Am I going crazy? Or is this something that other people have experienced as well? So I've spent an awful lot of time uh, growing up, you know, when all my friends were out partying on Fridays and Saturday nights, I was usually found in the libraries, uh, poring over a lot of uh, books and uh, researching the world's religions and just trying to get some good background knowledge of uh, where this comes from, what I can do, and, you know, how I can help myself and then maybe hopefully help other people in the future. So, you know, it just, and it, 
And then I met Jimmy and the Warrens and it just kind of took off from there. Well, we'll, we'll go into the Warrens a little bit later on, but um, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, talk me through your, your response or the response that you, you experienced when the film was released. You know, were, were you inundated as well? Marty, I, I had no idea what Netflix was when you announced it was going to be on Netflix. And within a week, I was at a store and I hear a couple whispering to each other, that was the guy we just saw on Netflix. <laughs> so it was kind of... And it wasn't, it wasn't your own mother, though. <laughs> yeah, of course it was. No, <laughs> uh, but it was kind of it was kind of kids were there uh, at the time. Um, so yeah, I, you, I had no idea. You, how... um, well, you 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 had a radio show anyway, and people know you as Mister Haunted. As a investigator and, and an investigator, still, have you found the there has always been a high demand for help, or has there been a has there been a spike um, over the last few years, or have you seen any sort of patterns of of, of of that since i've only been involved in the, the exorcism part since the mid 90s um i think it's been a spike ever since i've been involved i don't know i don't know uh, be, beforehand but um we've gotten a lot of a lot of requests for help lately to help because of the situation right now and talk to me both about i know you you met father martin uh, several times jimmy but both of you, when you watch the film, uh, can you give me your own, we'll start with Lorene, can you give me your, your, your own response to Maliki Martin as the man depicted in the film? I know I only scratched the surface and I didn't go into other avenues of his life. Can you give me your own, your own sort of feedback and evaluation of who the man was to you? You know, it was really strange for me to watch the film in its entirety because I saw... Uh, some of Jimmy's footage of that meeting with the Warrens. And I realized that I was there. I do remember it, you know, pieces of it. Um, so I do remember meeting him uh, and, you know, he, he very charismatic gentleman. And I, I do know he held the room's attention, definitely. Um, and I can see how people would be drawn to him, you know, apart from the exorcism, uh, things I, I i could see how people would be drawn to him just his personality he, he he was a force you know and i think even on the film he he came you know that came through loud and clear and it, and it seemed to me like people either loved him or or despised him and there wasn't much room in the middle i i think um but my impression of him was that you know he, he was in it for all good intentions um, in it to help people, educate people, and try to, to move the church forward in their thinking. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, he's, he was a large, large man in a lot of ways, not physically, but in many other ways, he was a very large presence. And Jimmy, I know you, obviously you, you've met him several times and, and you've spoken to him um, within those times. Can you give me your, your I don't know the answer to this, but who was Maliki Martin to you from watching the film, but also meeting him in the flesh as well? Um, I did only meet him a couple of times, but um, he, he, he was uh, amazing to me. I, uh, like, like Lorene said, he was um, larger than life. He had a, such a personality on him. You, you love, or, love him or hate him. I loved him. And a matter of fact, the first time you interviewed me, I totally forgot about one part of um, the story. It's only taken you four years to remember. No, 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 no. I'll get to it. <laughs> so, so uh, when when I when I said we were in line trying to you know get autographs or get our autographs, 
um, when I got there and he said, you know, you, you have an amazing lights around you or something. You're my favorite person in this room. Yeah. I only, I only remembered this from seeing pictures. I was sitting right next to him because he said, sit down right next to me. And he put my hand, his hand on my shoulder. And like, everybody was looking at me in the room. Like they hated me. Like I was a teacher's pet and I was just sitting there like this. So, you know, I was, I was happy. So, um, yeah, that's it. That was I just love a part. to see I Jimmy happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rarity. <laughs> From from my own personal experience, just like just like the man himself, you know, the the film was 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 liked and it was loathed. You know, what do you think, Noreen, in a sense of why? Because it was, is it the subject matter? Is it you know what what do you think was about the film that people just hated or they loved? I don't know that people hated it. You know, that's that's news to me. And, well, and I you read would the Netflix know more about. Reviews. Oh well, yeah, you would know more about the reviews than I would, but. Um, I, you know, the, all the feedback I received, no one hated it. it. You know, people were amazed and in awe of it. Uh, I think, you know, the initial attraction is probably, you know, the, the, the supernatural, the horror, the mysticism of it. Um, but then when people saw that it was a documentary and they started meeting the man, Malachi Martin, I, I think, you know, I, I think it, it helped them to answer some questions, but it also posed a lot more unanswered questions to them, I think. Um, and, it, and I could see it being used as a springboard for more education, for more knowledge, for more, um, more exploration. Um, but no one I know, you know, uh, no one had a negative view of it for me. It, it was just, they all thought it was quite amazing. The people I know, they've all viewed it like three, four, five times. Um, and it's, it's just one of their go-tos and it's, it, it's a couple of people have used the word haunting to me. Like it's a haunting kind of a film because it stays with you. You're thinking about it long after you viewed it. You know, it, it just kind of, it's, it's permeating your consciousness on different levels, I think. That's good. I should stop reading reviews with a shotgun and a bottle of whiskey then. <laughs> joking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, you know, yeah, well, well, the team and I are very proud of it. Um, it was, I mean, for me personally, it was six years to make, and then for the, for the producers, it was about nine years in total. So it was, um, and we were told, I mean, the producers from day one were told that, you know, by the Jesuits in Dublin that we, weren't, we wouldn't be allowed to make this film. So, and to be yeah. honest, within the 96 minutes, I only scratched the surface with the man. Marty, who, sorry, who was, the, who was the man that was talking negatively? Um, oh, Bob Kaiser. Bob Kaiser. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, but, the yeah, only, you know, Bob, the I only, think Bob, I was criticized for, for having Bob in the film, but <clears throat> I was also criticized for not having enough skeptics in the film. But you, you've, got, you've got such a short space of time to make it. Um, you're damned film. if you do and damned if you don't. The, yeah, only yeah, negative yeah. Thing, the only negative thing I heard about it was people were upset that you had um, Kaiser in it because of the negativity in his. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, but, but you have to offer both views. Opposition. I think you have to right. have, yeah, there, there's yeah. two sides to the point. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you because you asked. A lot of people yeah. uh, that I know thought it was more like going to be a horror film, like yeah. The Exorcist or Amityville Horror, when they didn't realize it was a documentary. Yeah, so I think, I think the whole, yeah, from, from, from looking back and being sort of constructive about the launch, I think from, a, from the team, from Team and I's point of view is we packaged, we packaged it wrong. We, we... Yeah, because it, it's because it's so beautifully shot by Rory O'Brien, the c cinematographer. It, yeah. People just yeah, they just 
I mean, I mean, we shot on really nice lenses and cinematic lenses and equipments. And uh, I think, I think the, the our issue was we just packaged it wrong from the get go. We should have really sort of, um, I don't know. I mean, it's it, my style of filmmaking is cinematic anyway. No matter what I do, you know, from a TV advert to a music video to a documentary, it's going to be cinematic. So everybody was, wants to know what happened to the girl. Thank you. Yeah, I well, saying, and I say I have no idea. Yeah, the, 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 the so the yeah, so the four-year-old girl who ended up Ralph Ralph and his team taking on when she was eight, so four years after. Yeah, I mean it was um you can you can hear more about this in the podcast, but the yeah, we just we just couldn't find any definitive during the making of the film, nothing came. Right. We had two two camps. One camp was that she she killed herself, unfortunately, as a, as a young girl, and the second yeah. camp was that we, the she was you know she was alive and she was she was well, but you know we just could not find you know something definitive to but, to to push to to for me as a storyteller to put out there. So in the film, yeah. you just see her leaving the chapel um, in the reconstruction. So you know what their question was: was she saved or was she not? So. It's um, it, I left it very ambiguous, which which is all I could do at the time. And right, right now we could tie it in together with the first one because we interviewed um, Larry and Debbie, who um, followed um, that little girl growing up. Yeah, let, let's let's talk, let's talk about the old days. Lorraine Warren is featured very briefly in the in the documentary purely because she's she's a force in herself. You know, you can't just you know throw in Lorraine Warren and then you know. <clears throat> Yeah, she, 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 and then go away again. She's, she's, she's a, she's an ultimate force, as you know, in the, in the, in the paranormal world. So, talk me through both of you, um, how you both met and how you got to work with um, the legendary Ed and Lorraine Warren. Well, um, as I said earlier, I was, uh, I had my own demonic attacks repeatedly, um, so it kind of forced me into uh, the, the education building world and I was looking for answers. So one night I saw a flyer, I think, for Ed and Lorraine's uh, lecture series at a local college. So I attended that and it was just absolutely fascinating. And they showed slides and, and movie clips and they actually had some some real evidence that, you know, for the first time I was seeing some real evidence. So I think there was a book signing after the lecture and I went down to have uh, my book signed and Lorraine kind of grabbed my hand when, when it, when it got to be my turn and I walked up to the table and she looked at me and it was Halloween time. It was around this time of year in October. And she looked at me and she said, well, I could see that Halloween is very special to you too, dear. And I just kind of looked at her because Halloween has always been like one of my favorite holidays and it's a big deal for me. Um, and I say, yes, it is. And we started talking and we just kind of instantly connected. And I told her I was in school, uh, getting my, uh, my graduate degree for psychotherapy. And, you know, we were talking for a while and she invited me to her classes that she and her husband, Ed, uh, originally, uh, taught. Um, and it was in our, in my local area. So I started attending their classes and that's where I met Mr. Haunted. <laughs> The legend. So, and I think uh, Ed and Lorraine, you know, once they knew that I was, uh, uh, had a background in psychology, they wanted to pull me into the investigations and help interview the families and the afflicted family member and kind of do some uh, assessments, evaluations on them, help uh, rule out mental illness and any other uh, organic 
um, elements that might be going on. So. And Jimmy, how did you um, end up in, in the team? I was fascinated by uh, ghost photography. My uh, one of the first books they ever owned was, uh, you know, Green Eggs and Ham, and Real Ghosts by Daniel Cohen, where they featured the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall, the, the famous picture of the woman descending the staircase. And I said, I want, I want to get a picture like that. That was my goal in life. So uh, I started taking pictures in supposedly haunted cemeteries. I started getting some weird pictures on my um, my film, and uh, I'm, I met a woman named Debbie there who was looking at my pictures and said Ed and Rainn Warren would love to see these pictures so uh, she invited me to the class the next Monday and I was that was 1992 and I took classes for years and investigated with them right after that I'm always and can I just say Jimmy's got the best archive library that I've ever seen of pictures and videos and and different um uh haunted items and you know he's got an extensive library, and his pictures and videos have been used all over the place. So, way to go, Jimmy! <laughs> yeah, thanks, Lorraine. Did you get did you get money for, get get money for that usage or not? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Never. <laughs> what was Lorraine like? Some 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 somebody who's met her and worked with her, and you know we've seen the movies, we've seen we've seen documentaries and interviews and stuff. But for you, who, who was? Who, uh, first of all, let's, let's, let's start with Lorraine. What was she like as a person? She was a sweetheart. She was an absolute sweetheart. She, she had kindness all the way down to her soul. You know, she was in it for all the right reasons. She was inquisitive. She was curious. She was helpful. She was thoughtful, considerate, very warm, very warm person to the family. She would, you know, she would do anything for the family members um, and particularly like, uh, you know, the, the children involved, you know, she would go above and beyond. She was always, you know, ready and, and willing to take someone under the, under her wing and kind of show them the ropes and, and Ed too, he loved to impart his knowledge and, and just have, you know, just kind of pull it forward. So it didn't die with them. You know, they, they had so much, knowledge and information and they they just wanted it to continue they didn't want it to stop they wanted and you know just like jimmy with he wanted the picture you know ed and lorraine wanted evidence they wanted to be able to prove that this is real that it's tangible that they there's something that they can point to uh and say that this is this is the real deal and you know it's you're not crazy this is truly happening so on then, Jimmy. So, Lorraine and Ed. You know, you reminded me of something, Lorraine. Uh, when we were, um, Ed and Lorraine were filming an episode of Sightings in Union Cemetery, where the white lady supposedly appears, yeah. and they already had it all set up. Like these are going to be the, you know, you're going to walk through the cemetery, and we're going to tell a story or whatever. And Lorraine like uh, points over to me, at, like the middle of the filming. I want Jim in here. Jim, come in here. Like she just took charge. Yeah. And got me, got me in the uh, episode. So yeah. that was really cool of her. And it, they, it, they weren't Ed and Lorraine when we, were, when we were working with them. They were just, you know, they weren't like they are now, like the Conjuring yeah. Ed and Lorraine. Um, they were just regular down-to-earth people who, yeah. if we went to a, an investigation the weekend before, I'd call up Ed and said, Ed, I got some, you know, some, some, uh, you know, some weird stuff on my film. Do you want to 
look at it. He goes, oh, yeah, come on over. And then they make you coffee and, you, you know, look over the evidence. It was just, and just I, you know, as, as a married couple, they were just amazing. I would love to watch them in action because, you know, they would go everywhere together, do everything together. They were never apart. And, you know, they would play off each other so well. You know, Ed with that sense of humor. Jimmy, you've got to remember that sense of humor and that laugh of Ed's. Yeah. And but, sometimes he would he would kind of like, you know, take little, you know, digs at Lorraine, you know, and, and, you know, in a very loving way. And just that playful, loving couple way, you know, like that secondhand language that they have, that they share. Um, it was just fun to watch. They, re they really, you know, it was very real, very genuine, uh -huh. the love between them. So... It was fun working with them. It was fun. So. Well, Marty, one time, uh, Lorraine, for example, Lorraine was walking through a house and she says, oh my God, there's spirits all over the place. And Ed was like, she's full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> Marty, but that's you're, um, in your, I mean, it doesn't have to be connected to the, to the Warrens here, but in your investigation work both of you what has been the case that's really stuck out it's a bit of a hokey question but what what's the what what's what's been that case that's always stuck with you to to this day well, I, got, I got two of them Go ahead, Sam. Um, one case that stuck out was our first one with the uh the girl she's uh featured in in hostage and yeah. uh she's the first one we didn't uh we didn't expect her to act out. It was our first exorcism we ever went to. And she says, I don't think I'm uh, possessed or anything like that. So, you know, uh, we didn't expect. The priest started his litany of the saints and his prayers. And then she just, start, uh, just started breaking out of her restraints and screaming, right? And trying to get up. And I'm like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And then the, uh, is, that, is that it for you, Lorene? That's absolutely the case that I always think of. Because if it, was, if it wasn't for that case, we wouldn't even be here right now because right. that's mm -hmm. the one they featured on Primetime Live and we got all the cases from around the country because of that one. Yeah. But what really stands out for me is more the, the family dynamics of that case and just the, the warmth of the family. And, and Jimmy, you and I would go up there so many times, like, you know, before, during, and after the exorcisms. You know, we're constantly doing follow-up. I would uh, talk with them every week. Um, and just, you know, the family connection, you, you, you tend to get a, a nice relationship with these families. And, you know, they, they loved us. They kind of took us in as part of their family. In fact, uh, the older sister was getting married and we were invited to their wedding. And we went, and this was after all the exorcisms were completed. And the afflicted girl, uh, she was a singer. And she sang at her sister's wedding for the first time since all of the, the horrific events occurred. And she had the beautiful voice of an angel. And I just, even thinking about it right now, I have chills going down my spine. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, Jim, you were taking video of it while she was singing. And I had we like tears coming down my eyes. Yeah, yeah we do just, have a video of that. So beautiful. Did you share a dance with anybody that day, Lorraine? Uh, yeah, with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you stepped on my toes a few times. <laughs> but yeah, she she was amazing. And you know, it's amazing to see the the contrast of who she was when we first met her, Jim, mm -hmm. and who she was afterwards. 
you know, beforehand she was kind of withdrawn and sullen and you could, the dark, remember the dark circles under her eyes? Yeah, I mean, she was she, only 18 years old. Yeah, she was so dark and sullen and, and withdrawn and, you know, just she had the long hair and just kind of coming down, hiding her face and shoulders hunched over. And then afterwards, she was just absolutely beaming with light, absolutely beaming with light. Gorgeous, and that, and, gorgeous girl. And that's so. about 25 years ago. And every year since then, I've gotten a Christmas card from her and her parents. See that connection? So, yeah. That's yeah. what it's about. It's 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 a case which is so which has stuck with me as well, and I I we we had to show the exorcism in, in in the first film, but going into the second chapter, where for my sins, <laughs> going back into it again, um, I think the footage, the home video footage of her when she was, I think maybe I think she was sixteen or even younger, the twelve or the, thirteen, twelve or thirteen, where the family collected, which is, is still haunted me to the day and i knew oh, that with need. the arms yeah yeah yeah, yeah. screams yeah oh my god yeah just wait yeah, yeah the, those screams can be piercing though you know there's sounds coming out of people that you would never think you'd ever hear yeah ever in a million years just, just, just for the audience human just for the audience who don't know talk me through just 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 a summary of 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 of, of this case you know, we don't want to name a name but the summary of like from from what the family came to you with video evidence and then talk me through the steps to a uh, final exorcism with Bishop McKenna. Go ahead, Jim. You have a better okay. memory than I do. When the, when the woman was 18 years old, we got a, a phone call from this woman when she was 18 years old saying there's, she's having some weird occurrences at her home. So we went to investigate it, looking at it like a regular you know, spirit or something. Um, when they told us about the the scratches on the wall and the growls that are, coming from up the stairs to their bedroom mm -hmm. and some other items, um, some other things. We the thought smells. Maybe yeah, the, the smells. smells. The, oh, they yeah. also found a, uh, remember a pile of something on their carpet down the, downstairs. Yeah, that's pleasant. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh. Anyways, we thought maybe this was more than just, you know, your Aunt Jenny ghost. So her, her, her mom suggested, she was, we have some tapes when she was 13 years old that you might want to look at, see if it's connected. And, and the mother uh, recorded videos of this, not for um, supernatural reasons, but for medical, she wanted to bring these to the doctor and present them and say, what's wrong with my daughter? And, yeah. she, and she'd have videos of her daughter, like getting her arm raised and twisted at unnatural angles to where she broke bones in her wrist and hand. Um, there's videos of her, it looks like somebody's holding her wrist, just throwing her back and forth uh, in a room. Um, hours and hours of video of this unexplainable, behavior and uh, they they couldn't find any reason for it uh, about a year later they stopped so they said you know they said maybe this was all connected and, and we found out it um, probably was and can I just say too I you know as a psychotherapist I've worked with uh, populations of people and, and there's some uh, people who suffer such extensive trauma that they can do uh, self-injurious acts and they'll do things like swallow batteries or cut themselves or, um, you know, pull out their hair or what have you. But never have I seen anyone, you know, purposefully break bones in such a manner. I mean, that's, that's just not heard yeah. of. Like, in, I don't even in, know how you could consciously yeah. turn your hand enough to break it without 
slamming it against anything. Yeah, I've never seen that before. So it, it certainly wasn't a clinical uh, factor. So and, and this and this ended up being a demonic oppression case rather than a possession case. We believe so. Yeah. yeah and this was one of the circum. You know, everyone thinks these uh, cases end up happy, happily ever after afterwards. And um, th this was our first one, and it actually did. Uh, the, the exorcism was what an, an hour or two tops, and um, she was relieved afterwards, and still still is. And then there's other ones we've they've had multiple exorcisms, and they're still going through um, stuff. Well, what what do you think is the biggest misconception with the public with regards to, and obviously with with the help from Hollywood and and and, and studio films um, and things they've public public have seen in the past what's the big what are the biggest misconceptions with exorcisms and the reality of exorcisms and because I, I know they're they can they can last for years rather than you know an hour yeah. or two yeah yeah i i think there's a lot of uh, a lot of build-up a lot of um exploitation of the the signs and the symptoms uh, yeah, you, you hear a lot of voices, you know, stra very strange things can occur. Um, but I, you know, if you ask me, what I think is the, the largest misconception is that exorcism shouldn't be, you know, a lot of the, the, the groups, the paranormal groups, they use exorcism as the goal. You know, let's get this person an exorcism. I don't think that should be the goal. I mean, exorcism is an intervention. It can be an intervention and a very successful one. Uh, just, but just like, you know, saging the house, blessing the house, saying prayers, those are all interventions. But that, is, that shouldn't be the goal. The goal of working with a family or an afflicted person should be, you know, helping them to reconnect to who they are helping them to reconnect with, with life and, and experiencing joy again. Um, and, you know, exorcism is a way of decreasing the negativity, the negative energy. But once you do that, you know, you, you have to understand that when we get involved in a case, some of these families have been immersed in this negative energy for years. And they've been experiencing all these horrific symptoms for years. And this is their focus. It affects them emotionally, financially, psychologically, physically. You know, their relationships suffer. Every, every, you know, every piece of their life, every aspect of their life gets broken down. So they've spent so much time focusing on this negative energy. And then we come in, we do an exorcism, we remove the negative energy. Well, that's great. But now, now what? Now what do I do? Now what do I focus on? Now who am I? I've always had this negative thing to overcome. Now it's gone. What do I do now? So in effect, we've kind of created a chasm. You know, there, there's a hole. There's an emptiness there. And that's where the true work comes in because you've got to work with these families and this person to connect them to, to source, to who they are, to to the goodness of the world, to their empowerment, to, you know, to lift them up because they've been broken down repeatedly and systematically for, for many years. So to me, that's the biggest misconception. It, you know, the, the buildup of the exorcism and, and, you know, the assessments and, and the investigations, that's wonderful, you know, to get evidence, to put it on film and to, to advance the knowledge. But what happens afterwards? I think that's what, that's the big, missing piece for 
for all these cases for the for the ghost shows and the paranormal shows you have to you have to help these people afterwards because they're still living and they still need to identify themselves as something positive and that's that's kind of the work that i do every day so the, the watch watch this lorraine the biggest misconceptions that i've witnessed at exorcisms um, that we haven't seen head spinning yet. We haven't seen people crawling on the ceiling, but they do speak in other languages. They speak mm -hmm. backwards. They do vomit uh, quite often. We have actually Not a vomit, suit, though. No a vomit suit. bucket. Um, <laughs> and it gets very cold in the room. We've experienced that where, you know, it's normal temperature, and then bam, it just plummets out of nowhere. And we and, get threatened. Yeah. And, and yeah, absolutely. And, and you can feel that tension. You can feel the heaviness in the air. We've had things move. We've had, you know, sounds and noises and smells and scratches and we've been pushed. We've had our own, you know, physical impressions where, you know, someone's hitting you in the head or pushing you, trying, trying to push you down the stairs, you know, and just, you know, stomach ailments, you know, getting knocked over with stomach cramps. Um, so yeah, there's all those those you know ailments going on and those those uh, symptoms but it's it's not like the movies you know it's yeah. and i think in and, some ways it might be a little worse just because it's a lot more subtle yeah. you know well, it's a you lot more subtle and it makes and you question and it's not not, a, not not all of these exorcisms have these events it's it's a small yeah. percentage some of most are just right nothing happens yeah but the that yeah. the that small percentage Holy mackerels. Um, let's move into our second section, which you want to talk about, which is the, the devil within, which is the second, I wouldn't say it's going to be a sequel to Hush the Devil, but it's going to be, well, made by the same people, but uh, same, um, same look, same tone, um, but it will be probably end up being a standalone film. But you could happily you could happily watch them back together back back to like back. Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so the Devil Within was a film where I knew I had to come back into the not so much the genre, but to, there was a lot of unfinished business with, with when I made the first film, and the as I mentioned before that footage that you showed me that the family had recorded when she was thirteen in the bedroom was just horrific so mm. i wanted to basically mold the narrative around the family home video footage that we've got the vision now is to is to basically no pressure jimmy but to hinge hinge the whole second film on jimmy no. <laughs> so the, the 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 premise the premise to the devil within will be bringing jimmy out of retirement you know and yourself, Loreen. We're going to be pairing you guys together for two reasons. One, because you've had, you've got so much experience. You, know, you mentioned there about working with the Warrens since the nineties. You got you got sort of so much experience, and you're, you're extremely grounded people as well. You know, you're not. You, you, there's no egos. There's no books. <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and and the second reason is 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 you, both of you came across so well. And the audience just really warmed to you 
as contributors to the film, the, there was a lot of lot of positive feedback in regards to, to the warmth that the audience had for you you two as contributors. So as a filmmaker, you've got to. Well, you've, here yeah, comes the ego. Yeah, here, yeah. There's, there's no ego. You know that. Here it comes. <laughs> but, <laughs> so the second film, The Devil Within, is is first and foremost doing something which nobody has ever done before, which is to film uh, an exorcism over. I think we've scheduled four days. So once I find the right case, we want to basically film every single minute of those four days of exorcisms. And uh, no, wow. one's tried, no one's tried to do it before. And okay. there's been excuses in the past about, you know, we forgot the camera or we weren't allowed to bring the, cam the cameras into the chapels, etc. I'm trying to, you know, get a film seen again by the masses. And secondly, I just think it's a bit of a cop-out where, oh, you won't be allowed to film it. You won't be allowed. I'm like, it's a cop-out. You know, I'm going in. I'm going to put multiple cameras up. I'm going to film it. And at the end of the day, if we, if we film nothing, if nothing happens, then nothing happens. However, I'm, I'm not willing to do the old, the old sort of um, traditional response of, oh, we weren't allowed, you know, the priest didn't allow us because the Pope or the Rome told us not to, et cetera. So it, it, it's, we'll be going a different avenue with it we'll be looking at more of a traditionalist sort of catholic priest exorcist who do we have an exorcist i lost my zoom we do yes we do have one um who we've been speaking to um before the lockdown our canadian guy yes yeah you know he's the best he's the only one that will allow anything as far as filming yeah um because we, we have then, been working three years on the second film. It's been a long, you know, I came over two years ago to see you guys and we filmed a little, a few interviews with you guys. Um, yeah. And we were promised funding and, it, and, that, and that was taken away from us. But I've never been one to sort of wait for things to happen. However, Bastards. things are looking, yeah, things are looking quite good. <laughs> and I am, um, yeah, I just, I think the audience deserve it. I think a lot of the audiences are like, oh, why, why don't you interview somebody who was, who was possessed or oppressed or afflicted and acted out. No. Yeah. Just, just, just give the audience what they want, which is well, show them a real, show them a real right <coughs> of exorcism. And then, and then I'm getting criticized. Oh, Marty, it's, that's irresponsible of you. You know, you put the audience will need protection and you know, I, it's something that I'm not jumping into. It's something that I've researched myself. I just don't want to be one of those filmmakers that we get to the main events of the film which is the exorcism and we get to the chapel doors and then we suddenly say, Oh, sorry guys. We weren't allowed to bring the cameras inside the chapel. What would Malachi like, do? Malachi he would exploit wouldn't. it. Well, Malachi was a very humble person. So I don't think he wouldn't, he wouldn't <laughs> have liked to be filmed, but he okay, would. Bishop McKenna. We'll go with Bishop McKenna. Oh, Bishop McKenna. Would, yeah. He loved the lens. Yeah. And also with the second film, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be looking at demonic oppression and obsession. So, and, um, and influence so it's it, it's not like you know we're, we're going to be educating the um, the public as well with regards to that you know yeah, we're not more of the subtle stuff yeah so yeah the yeah the nasty stuff the scratches and the, and the smell well before the, before you guys decide on who could i meet these these uh potential people no first? no way <laughs> <laughs> okay. of course, okay. no, no, of course. <laughs> yeah that that, that i um, we haven't met them yet so so oh, the, okay. so the, the so the devil within is look is literally taking um Jimmy, our retirement, teaming him up with old colleagues like yourself, Lorraine. And I'm not old. I'm not old. old. No, old, you know, you're I mean, <laughs> colleagues from the past. Sorry. Okay. Rephrase. All right. <laughs> and, um, and literally just taking a contemporary case 
and going from start to finish. So we'll be looking at how, how you as a psychotherapist would, would approach the case. We will literally break down the case from start to finish, show, showing the audience and the wider audience the, 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 the very intelligent and thought out process. It's not all about throwing them straight into the right of exorcism. It, it, it's, it's a very thorough process where it involves science, you know, and, you know, psychology and et cetera. So it, 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 it's never been done before. And obviously we need access to, to this person and, and their life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I don't want to be seen as exploiting someone's right. you know, pain and misery to, to sell a film and to get a film out and, and but you know, film made. Yeah. Did I send you the little footage of um, the the exorcist that we're thinking about? I remember how it was so hard before we're gonna get anybody like, like oh, anybody no, do oh, this. On, two, but good but, two and a half years of finding someone who was willing to do it for us. Yeah. yeah but 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 like working with him, he really does a great great job. He isn't like he like I didn't know him before, and he's like so thorough. He's good. He's he, he's really uh, really good. That's so great. Be happy with him. But did I send you a little clip of me and him in the house in New Jersey on uh, WhatsApp? I'm not on WhatsApp anymore. Work. Yeah, no, I'm off it. Oh, you're not on there. Yeah, about eight months ago, yeah, I took, came off it. Oh, I'm, I'm, it I'm, I'm turning to a hippie, mate. By, I, I want to be smartphone free by next year. That's my mission. I'll send it to Chris if he really? can send it to you, though. Yeah, I want to. I want to lead by example. <laughs> I want to live in a cabin in the woods. I have no idea. <laughs> send a lot of carrier pigeons with notes tied to their feet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, send Marty. the raven. Get the ravens. Wait, oh, no. we got one minute. Good. All right. Um, so yeah, just to wrap up then. So I'm, I'm, like I said before, extremely thankful for your time you gave to me for the first film. And then the second film, which is also be a standalone film. I, I'm excited to work with you guys again on, on, on this, on this case, contemporary case, showing an audience a case from start to finish, you know, we're, 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 whether that will be an exorcism at the end or not, it's, it, it's, it's your, it's the team's call, but, the reason why I've chosen you two to, to really sort of lead this is it's because you've, you've done the groundwork, you've, you've worked with the Warrens, you've put the time in and now it's your time to, you know, to, to start leading by example and getting that evidence that which, which at the end of the day, I'm not that concerned about finding evidence because evidence will always be scrutinized by the audience anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'll always be, yeah. you know, big questions about how we, you know, do we manipulate sounds in the room? Do we, you know, there'll be loads of question marks. And 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 Lorraine, the, the great quote from the first film, it's it's about experience. It's about being in the room. It's you can, you know you, mm. you can't you can't tell by watching something. You know, you can sometimes you got to be in the room and you and the way you know the way you talk about it in the first film, it's that presence. You you just can't you can't fake that. And that's um, experience teaches. Yeah. Yes, 100%. that's what I say all the Great time, quote. Maureen. Great I know quote. I have. I learned it from you. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for your time. Stay safe, and um, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully next time people see you, we'll be on the uh, on the TV again. Hopefully. Wow. All right. Well, thank you. All Good right. night, Marty. See you soon, Good guys. Night, bye bye. See you soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Sleep well. You too. Bye. When I was a kid, my father was a carpenter, and he built a, a toy box out of like real heavy wood. And he's big, he put these big uh, silver handles on it, and uh, I used to sleep in it like a vampire with my hands over my like this. I, I wore a cape, I had fangs, and one time my father uh, came in my room looking for me. He's like, "Jimmy, where are you?" And I, I creaked open the toy box. I said, "I'm here." He's get the fuck out of the toy box. Yeah. The story.
My father left when we were pretty young. That's why I overcompensate with my kids, I think. And they're going to have stories. One day they're going to be talking to someone saying, my dad was never home. He was out doing exorcisms. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can still watch our Hostage to the Devil documentary on Netflix until April 2021. We have a Facebook page too, so please give us a like and buy us a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com to help us keep this podcast going. And it would only be right to finish with the main man himself. The real uh, horror, the real pain, uh, the, the, what is wrong, what, what, what hurts in, exo- in possession is the presence of the evil one. I mean, somebody comes along and says, look, I need help. Or their mother brings them along, or their wife, or their husband. Sometimes they're lovers, sometimes it's a cop. And you say, okay, have you been examined by a psychiatrist? Yes, and they find nothing. And there's nothing physically wrong. No, the doctors have given us the complete triage, and there's nothing wrong with there's something. I, I'm tortured by the devil. I made a pact with the devil. And when we start an exorcism, within the first 20 minutes, we know whether it's genuine or not. How do we know? That's what I'm trying to, the point I want to get across to you. Suddenly, it becomes evident, palpably evident, that we are all in the, the exorcist and his assistant and the possessed person. We're in the, in the presence of something that hates us in a way that you've never felt hated before. It's like an invisible animal clawing at you with claws you can't, you can't escape. It's a, it's, a, it's a palpable feeling. Then you know we have permission.